So today, we start a new series of messages that we're simply calling Exploring Questions in the Psalms. And so for the next five weeks, that's exactly what we'll do. We've just selected five psalms, all have a relevant and applicable question that we will then seek to answer. Questions are good. Questions invite discovery and learning. And the one thing that we will learn from the psalmist is that it is okay to question God. It's okay to be brutally honest with God. It's okay to wrestle with our thoughts and our experiences and then to try to make sense of them in view of who God is. We will actually, in asking and answering these questions, be seeking the face of God. And our hope and prayer is that we will grow in our knowledge of God and that we will experience a deeper intimacy with Him. Today, we're going to start in Psalm 139 and the verses that Josie read for us. It's an interesting psalm. It's a great psalm. It's been a favorite of mine for most of my adult life. There's, a, there's a, in a sense, a raw honesty that comes towards the tail end of the psalm that we're not going to get into great detail in, but you're going to, if you read it for yourself, you're going to go, wow, those are some really strong words. And it's just a reminder that, that, that David is absolutely honest with what he's wrestling with and what he's dealing with. And the context of the psalm is that he is um, encountering some ruthless enemies. And because he's feeling attacked, and more importantly, he, he believes that God is being attacked, he kind of stands to defend him. And so he says these very strong words, but then he writes so eloquently about who God is. And it's a remarkable psalm of worship. It is, it is incredibly theological on one sense, and yet very, very personal. And in verse 7, David asks this question. He says, where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? Now these, in fact, are rhetorical questions. Because the answer is nowhere. There is nowhere that we can go from God's Spirit, and there is nowhere that we can go and flee from His presence. So there you go. Questions asked and answered, and we can just all go home because we're running a little bit behind uh, schedule anyways, Um, but I don't think brunch is ready, so you're going to have to bear with me for a little while longer. Why does David assume that we all know the question, or sorry, the answer to this question? What is it about the character of God that allows David to make this point? And he makes it, in many ways, very dramatically and very emphatically, right? Like he just, you, you just, you'll, you'll get this sense that he, he writes these verses and then he kind of climaxes at verse 7 and he just goes, where can I go from your presence? How do I get away from you? So three things to know about this passage and about God. Number one, no one knows you like God does. No one knows you like God does, not even your mama. Verses 1 to 6 express that God knows everything, that he knows everything about you. Okay? The theological term here is omniscience. It is that God is all-knowing. The truth of Scripture is that every person on this planet, think about that, every person on this planet... Seven billion plus people have God's undivided attention. And he sees you and he knows you. He, he, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing in life. He knows your heart rate and he knows what's on your heart. 
He knows the exact number of hairs on your head. And he knows what's going on inside your head. Look at the text. David writes this. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Think about this. I mean, God has initiated the the search. He is the one who took action to know you. You have, he says, you have searched me. The Hebrew word translated search means to make a diligent study. To make a diligent study. And so God studied David until he knows him. We'll find out later how, how early that started in his life. But, but now God has this complete knowledge of David because he studied him. And he specifically, he studied his movements or his ways. It says, you know when I sit and when I rise. This statement, it implies a, a knowledge that goes deeper than just a knowledge of movement. He's like, you know what I'm doing. You know where I'm going. And then David adds, you discern my going out and my lying down. He says, you're familiar with all my ways. You know me because you've searched me. You've studied me and you've studied my movements. And he says, you've studied my thoughts. He says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows what we are thinking. Think about that. He knew that you're going to be thinking about God right now. And about that, that thought, that he knows it before even we do. He knows our thoughts and scriptures from afar, from a distance. And he knows us because he studied our words. He says in the text, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Even before we speak, God knows exactly what we are going to say. It's interesting, complete aside here, as I just digress for a second, is when you think about that, and we pray that God, like, God, you know, should I say this? And and you know what, you know people talk about the filter, right? Oh, man, they turn their filter off and they just dumped it out. But the Holy Spirit can be that filter for us, right? Because he's going to know a word and, and it comes to our mind and he's like, no, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't go there. You're going to regret that. Don't do it. Because he searched us. And so he knows our movements, he knows our thoughts, and he knows our words. Because God sees and knows everything about us. He is, as the theologians say, omniscient. And and as David reflects on this, he comes to the conclusion that God then surrounds and guards him. There's a security in knowing that God knows you completely. And so he writes in verse 5, You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. There's a sense here that David is, is like under siege, he, that, that, that God is behind him, God is before him, but the siege is not a hostile one, it's a protective one, and it's not a heavy hand of God, it's a hand of blessing. And David is just totally blown away by everything that God knows about him, and so he just says this, he says, you know, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Moms are a little like that, don't you think? In fact, moms wish they were a lot like that. That we would know our children's movements, that we would know their thoughts, that you would know their words. 
but they're not. Because their knowledge of their children, as good as it may be, it's not perfect like God's knowledge of his children. How many of you moms use this little electronic leash with your kids already? Right? And, and, and so what you do is things like, well, text me when you arrive at your friend's place. Or, you know, when you think they're going to stay out late or they're later than they ought to be. Or you're not sure the famous text, where are you? want to know. Or the next text that says, home soon? <clears throat> Maybe that's just in our family. I don't, I don't know. But those texts are <clears throat> only as good as a reply text, right? Because moms seem to know what we're thinking sometimes too. <clears throat> it's like, oh, um, <clears throat> she didn't prepare for this. She's going to need a lunch today. You know what? I'll get it ready for her. And moms are pretty good at almost discerning what the kids are about to say. And they're like, don't say that. Don't say that to your brother. Don't even go there. And we can kind of interject. My mom passed away seven years ago this month. She was 79 years old. She'd be turning 87 this year. It's almost unfathomable in some ways. And I often think about my mom and, and how her nurturing shaped me. And there was a season in my life, um, a few years at least, where I'm sure she was concerned for me and specifically my spiritual well-being. I wasn't doing so well in my relationship with God. And I would go out, and she, of course, wouldn't know where I was. <clears throat> she couldn't text me, thankfully. And uh, she couldn't ask me when I'd be home. So what would she do? She would wait up for me almost every night or early morning. And when I'd get home, I could always tell that she was waiting up because there was light on in the kitchen. <clears throat> and I tried to come in as quietly as I could because I soon discovered that if I walk quietly down the hallway and turn the corner and see the kitchen, mom would often have the newspaper open, maybe doing a word search. But if it got real late, she put her arm on the table and put her head down and she was fast asleep. I, of course, I didn't want to interrupt her sleep. And so I just quietly snuck down into my bedroom and probably in the process it stirred her awake enough that she would then come down the stairs and I would quickly get into bed, lay down and pretend that I was fast asleep so she would think that I was there maybe for hours or as long as she had fallen asleep. She wasn't the wiser, but God knew. Because he knows and sees everything. And so we can respond to this truth about God, that he is omniscient, that he is all-knowing, in one of two ways. One, we can feel threatened. This can absolutely undo us. Because the fact that God knows everything is, in fact, disturbing to some people. They th the, the, the very thought that God knows and sees everything makes us uneasy. And it's, if that's the case, it's probably because we have something to hide, right? We're, we're trying to sneak by him while he's asleep at the kitchen table. And so we just don't think about him. And if we do, we, we tend to focus um, his knowledge about things, like God knows about that, or he knows about those other people, and we tend to depersonalize a little bit because we don't want to think about what he knows about us. It scares us threatens us. 
What if he really does know what I do and what I think and what I say? That's threatening if we believe that we're going to have to account for those things someday. And in fact, in Hebrews, um, I didn't put this in my notes, but I'm going to find it here quick. Um, Hebrews 4, verse 13, the writer says this. He says, nothing, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So it does unsettle us a little bit. Because if God knows, we're going to have to answer for that someday. And like we sang this morning, someday, every knee will confess, every every knee, sorry, every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we might feel threatened by this knowledge that God knows us like no one else does. Or secondly, we can feel loved. I don't get the sense here that David is at all threatened or fearful. He, he's not trembling with fear when he thinks of all that God knows about him. In fact, it's probably the total opposite. He feels loved and he feels protected and he takes shelter in God's knowledge. God is not threatening to him. God, in fact, is a refuge for him. My mom didn't wait up for me so that she could scold me and tell me what a terrible person I was. She stayed up because of her love and concern for me. She couldn't protect me when I was out. She couldn't intervene when the things that I was doing. But she would sleep better knowing that I was home and safe in bed. Even if I was just pretending to be asleep. She didn't know that. And so we can feel threatened. Or we can feel loved. When no one knows us like God does. Secondly... No one can run from God. No one can run from God. Verses 7 through 12 make it clear that God is everywhere, and he knows where you are at all times. And the theological term for this is omnipresence. God is everywhere present. So we have a God who is all-knowing and everywhere present. In fact, these two attributes of God are related. The reason that God sees and knows everything is that he is everywhere present. And if we do feel threatened by God's knowledge, our natural instinct is to want to run, to escape God's knowledge. And that's kind of where David's thoughts go. And in verse 7, he says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is, as I said at the beginning, there is nowhere that we can go. There is nowhere that we can go where God isn't already. You can't go anywhere where God is not. God will always be wherever you go. But again, David is not freaked out by this. He's actually comforted by this thought. He's not making plans to run away from God. He's thinking about what would happen if he even tried. And so in verse 8, he lays this out. He says, now, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And so just follow me. He's going from the highest heights... To the deepest depth, to the lowest depth, God is everywhere in between. He goes on in verse 9, he says, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. So where does the sun rise? Rhetorical question, we all know the answer. In the east. And geographically, if you're in Israel and you start to think of the sea, it's to the west. And again, he's making this point. It's from the east to the west. 
God is everywhere present at all points in between. And then he's, in, in essence, what he's saying is, listen, he says, you know, if David could travel as fast as the speed of light and as the sun rises in the east and, and, and he quickly zips as far west as he could go, God is already there waiting for him. God is present from one end of the world to the other. And even if David fled to the very ends of the earth, he could not escape God's presence. And even if David went and hid in the darkness, he says, it would be futile to think that he could flee from his presence. And so David lists off all of these extremes, right? The heights and the depths and the east and the west and the darkness and the light, which implies that God is present in all places and in all parts in between. When I think about running away from God, I could use my own story because I think that's what I was doing in my life, but I could also talk about Jonah. Jonah, may, you may recall, was asked by God to go to Nineveh to preach against it. Jonah didn't like the sound of that assignment. So the scripture says that he ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Silly guy, right? Didn't he know that you cannot flee the presence of the Lord? That there was nowhere that he could hide? And so he gets on a ship and they set sail. Then God sends a violent storm and the ship is in danger of breaking up. Jonah himself knows the sailors figure out that ultimately it's Jonah's fault that they're in these dire circumstances. And Jonah makes a suggestion. He says, listen guys, just throw me overboard and it will become calm. Now they don't like the sounds of that. They feel like they're throwing a man to his death. And so they try to come up with another plan and it doesn't work. And so eventually they throw him overboard. And of course the sea becomes calm just as God said. God sends a huge fish, which must have been uncomfortable for Jonah. And Jonah prays, and God rescues him. So Jonah learned a lesson the hard way, that no one can run from God. And so again, we have a choice. We can be fearful of a God who is all-knowing and everywhere present, Fearful in a way of being scared, not in the sense of when we talk about, you know, the fear of the Lord in a, in a way of awe and reverence, but in this sense, being truly afraid. Or we can embrace God and not fear his presence. Instead of trying to run in fear, instead of hiding, instead of trying to sneak by him while he's asleep at the kitchen table, we can, like David, we can know that no matter where we go, even there, David says, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And David is just simply saying, listen, we can know the love of God. We can know his goodness. We can know his faithfulness. And we can know the protective hand of God's blessing in our lives. I mean, this is the wonder of it all. We are fully known to God and yet fully loved. God knows everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And still he loves us. And to a certain degree... Isn't that true of moms? Now, certainly, you're not all-knowing and everywhere present. You are, are well aware of that. But with all that you know about your children, 
even when they break your heart, you still love them. You might want to strangle them, but you still love them. Right? It's the pursuing love of a mother. Pursuing love of the Heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 8 and verse 38 and 39. He says this. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. So what's he saying? Nothing. Nothing will be able to celebrate us, sorry, separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you get that? That there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I have a simple question for you. Do you know this love? You can know it today. We can introduce you to Jesus. There's no sense running and trying to hide. Jonah learned the futility of that. But God, if he's after you, you'll know it. You can't deny it. You can't stop it. Because he loves you. And he chases you down. You can't run from him. Thirdly, no one cares for you like God does. No one cares for you like God does. Verses 13 through 18 now describe not only God's creation and his care, but his power to do so. He created you and he cares for you. He, he is the creative power behind all creation, including you and me. And the theological term here is omnipotence. It's, it is God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. And so we have a God here who is all-knowing, He's everywhere present, and He's all-powerful. And not only does He know us and see us, we can't escape His presence. And we discover here in these verses then that He actually made us. He made us. And that is why He knows us so well. And that's what, has, what David is thinking about here now. He's thinking about the power of God informing him while he was still in the womb of his mother. And he credits his life to the creative work of God. It's almost as if he declares, no wonder God knows me and loves me. He made me. He made me. I am his special creation. Listen again to how David describes this. These are incredible words. He says this, For you, he's talking to God, created my inmost being. My inmost being. So it's not even just the visible parts, but the very things that make every person unique. He says, you you knit me together in my mother's womb. You knit me together. The, The Hebrew verb used here for knit refers only to the creation of a human being. It means that God carefully and skillfully created each person unique. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, this creative, active, intentional act of God. And and, and as David's expressing this, he just overflows with praise. He says, your works are wonderful, right? We are God's workmanship, the Bible says. 
And then he goes on, he says, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And again, he refers to the womb. The Lord intimately knows each person there. Think about the implications of that. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. It's a dark and mysterious place. It's a, it's a poetic way of referring to the womb. And he says this, he says, your eyes... Right? He sees us. Your eyes, God, saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I mean, isn't that a beautiful expression of God's powerful creative work and his care for us? His sovereignty over us? That is, his control over us. God is, in fact, sovereign over the length and content of every human life. Think about that. that I mean, this is almost like mind-blowing stuff, that God would know us so well that he could say all the days. He knew before, the crea- before you were created that you would be here this morning. And you think, well, I woke up this morning and I was trying to decide whether I should go to church or not. Yeah, he leaves it up to you. But he knew. He knew what you would decide. And here you are. All the days ordained before the person actually appears. So he has total control of all things past, present, and future. Our mothers were present at conception, but she didn't control it. She was present at our birth, but she didn't control the timing of our arrival. Some of us were early, maybe some were late. But it was according to God's timing. You see, most moms are hardwired to love and to care for their children. And it appalls us when we hear of of abuse. We know that it's not right. It shouldn't be that way. It's wrong. Sometimes children become the victim of another person's brokenness. And it breaks our hearts. But for many, today, we remember our moms who did probably the best that they could, the best that they knew how in loving and caring for us. I'm actually the youngest of five children, so, so my mom had lots of practice before I came along. Mom knew just how to treat a cut. She knew how to meet a physical need. She knew how to console a broken heart. And when I was so distraught and disappointed when the Oilers were eliminated from the playoffs, she would just say, well, somebody has to lose. My mom wasn't perfect, obviously. She had limitations, human limitations. But God doesn't have those limitations. And it's true, you know. No one cares for you like God does. Waking or sleeping, God is always with us. So God is not distant and demanding. He is warm and welcoming, and he wants us to know him. This whole psalm, yes, there's a theology of who God is, but it's a deeply personal reflection of who God is. And that he wants this intimate relationship with us. So the one who is powerful enough to create the entire universe, the one who created us, gives us the opportunity to be in relationship with him.
I wonder, do you know him? And if you do, do you know his love and his care for you even when life is just super hard? He knows. And he is there. And he is able. I read a story about an event that happened at a small Christian school and the children had lined up for lunch. And at the front of the line was a a big pile of delicious apples. And a teacher made a sign that said, take only one apple, God is watching. And at the other end of the tables of food was a plate of cookies. And so a student quickly made a sign that said, take all the cookies you want, God is watching the apples. And it's cute and it's funny, but I hope we know that it's not true. Because God is not limited in this way. But if we assume that God dislikes us, then those words, God is watching, they carry the overthrow, overtones of a threat. But if we know that God loves us, His watching over us takes on an entirely different and more comforting meaning. There's really nowhere that we can flee from His presence. His presence, His watchfulness, in fact, is an expression of His intense love for us. And that love is intimate and it's infinite. And His care is deeper than we can ever imagine and it's larger than we will ever know. Because God is all-knowing He is everywhere present, and He is all-powerful. And so what are we taking home? Let me just frame it this way. What is it that we should know about God this morning? Well, we should know that He is all-knowing, He is omniscient, that He is everywhere present, omnipresent, and that He is all-powerful, He is omnipotent. And how do we walk with Jesus then? We recognize that he wants to be in relationship with us. That that, that God knows us and he sees us. He's present with us. And he wants to walk with us through life. And then how do we share Jesus? I mean, friends, this is the good news, right? That God desires to be in relationship with us. But we were separated from God. There was this huge chasm and we, we try to make it over on our, on our own efforts. To, 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 we just work really hard or we're going to be a really good person. And all of those fall woefully short. But God made a way. And he said, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so friends, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ... When we turn to him in, in repentance and faith and we come into a relationship with God... He becomes our Father, a Father who knows us, sees us, is always with us, and is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. And so as we close in prayer, I want to lead you in just a time of reflection and prayer. And as we sing then a closing song after this prayer, I invite you, if you have a need this morning and you need to know God's love and care for you today, just come forward and I and others will be here to pray with you. So here are a couple of questions to prompt prayer this morning. And worship team, I'm just going to invite you to come right now at this time. And friends, just think about this question right now. Pray this to God. Ask for the question, answer to this question. In what area of your life do you need God's help? 
So just bow your eyes and think about that. Pray to God right now. Where do you need God's help? Name it. Maybe something immediately comes to mind because you're just facing a a struggle that causes no end of stress and grief for you. Ask for relief. Ask Him to help in that. Ask Him for protection. That He would be your place of refuge. That instead of finding all other means to cope, whatever your go-to things are, ask Him to invite you into His presence in a way that is real and powerful. And ask Him for the confidence to know that you're never alone and that you're never out of His loving sight. And as we pray this, just please, please hear me. Know this. God knows. God sees. God is present with you. And he is able to do more than you can ever imagine. And the second question is this. You can open your eyes if you need to see this or if you want to just listen. It's in what area of your life do you need God's forgiveness? Name it. Remembering that God knows and that he sees. He's not going to be surprised by it. Confess it. Say you're sorry. Repent from it, which means turning away from it. And ask God for grace and strength to help you do that. And ask Him to give you the confidence that your sins are forgiven. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And lastly, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to pray a dangerous prayer with me. And it's a prayer that David ends Psalm 139 with. And it's inviting God now to search us, to know us, to test us, to reveal any offensive ways about us. And it asks God to walk with us. In other words, God, use what you know about me to lead me in the right way. And if this is your prayer, let's say this together out loud. It'll be on the screen. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.